Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him, testing him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, just as a disclaimer right off the bat, um, to any parents that are watching uh, and you have children around you, I am going to be using some adult language and we will be addressing some adult topics, so I will leave it to your discretion, um, just how to filter all that in terms of volume and and what your kids might hear. Um, So just wanted to say that. And uh, just as I was chatting with a a few friends this week, they asked, oh, what are you preaching on this week? And I said, oh, nothing deep, nothing, something trivial, trite, boring, uh, just Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. And obviously I was being sarcastic and that was just my way of uh, trying to uh, even ease myself and, and comfort myself. Okay, this is not an easy topic. Um, and so all the more, uh, just invite us to uh, begin with prayer uh, today. Let's pray. Lord, um, I thank you so much. First, uh, just uh, let me put it on Trevor's heart. <laughs> pray for uh, someone needs to be muted at home. Thank you. Uh, just putting it on Trevor's heart to uh, uh, pray for our marriages. Uh, Lord, I agree with that uh, prayer, but also we're going to see so clearly in today's uh, teaching that Jesus, you care very much about the singles, uh, just the life of singleness. And so we pray for all our singles as well, that uh, they would find your grace uh, and your love for them in today's passage uh, Lord, today's passage is daunting um, because marriage and singleness, uh, they touch on the most uh, sensitive parts of our souls. Uh, we experience our greatest joys and some of our deepest wounds and hurts uh, from singleness and marriage. And so we ask for your help. Uh, please fill all of us with your Holy Spirit. Uh, for our friends who are still investigating Jesus Christ, that uh, you would be speaking to them. They would sense you engaging their thoughts, their worldview, 
um, their logic, their reasoning, and, and for those who proclaim faith already in Christ, that uh, you would give us teachable hearts to just really see your word for what it is, um, to accept it, to receive it, and you give us the grace uh, to live it out in our lives. We ask in your real, living, powerful, precious, faithful name, uh, Jesus' name, amen. And so uh, I've uh, just very straightforwardly entitled uh, the, the message today, What Does Jesus Teach About Marriage and Divorce? Um, on the surface, that seems to be the main topic he is addressing. Uh, and, and so I want to first ask sincerely, why do people get married? Uh, where did marriage come from? Uh, perhaps some of the married folk here, uh, a week or not too long into your marriage, you're asking yourself, perhaps secretly in your heart, did I make the right choice? Why did I get married? Um, again, another disclaimer, well, my, well, my daughter, she has a phrase that I enjoy. She's been saying it a lot these days. When we watch a movie and she's getting good at predicting plot lines and she's, she looks to me and says, Dad, the drama's about to come. <laughs> and then after the drama comes, she looks at me and like, the drama just came. And I'm about to just spill right off the bat some drama, can, can make it dramatic. And again, just another disclaimer, I want to recount a recent headline uh, that the major news outlets covered. Uh, and it just observes our culture. And the disclaimer I want to make is that I'm really making an observation of what our major news outlets have reported. And I'm not, please don't read into what I'm saying any um, bias or opinion or whatnot, although down the road in this message, there will be certainly clear uh, beliefs and convictions that come out. But first, just reporting. And a recent headline that the major news lines uh, reported from pop culture and about a Hollywood uh, actor is that uh, recently a transgender male Hollywood actor filed for divorce from his lesbian wife. Uh, now, a quick summary of this uh, actor's journey uh, she was born, or out of, if I'm to respect her on her terms, as he or they were born, she was born with a female body, and then she was celebrated to have come out as lesbian, and then she got married to a female, a lesbian, and then in the marriage, she came out as a transgender male, and then recently, the headlines reported, now this transgender male is filing for divorce from her female lesbian wife. Now, this has certainly become normal, right? So just observing our society, our world, our culture, this is normal. Fluidity and sexual identity being a whole spectrum is normal. And it's just one whole fluid thing. But these are real human beings, real feelings, real souls, real minds involved. And, and I wonder as well, just on the receiving end uh, of, of the wife, there must be some confusion. And perhaps even, I don't know, I can't speak for the, 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 the actor that I'm referring to, uh, and I can't speak for this person, but I imagine there's some confusion even as they're trying to seek out clarity for themselves. And so here is the state, just a, uh, an observation of, this, of just what marriage looks like and, and how marriage can break down and divorce in our modern times, our culture. And so I ask if it's going to just lead to all this heartbreak, and I even found myself sincerely re-asking myself personally, why did I get married? Uh, not that because I'm unhappy in my marriage, but just fundamentally, uh, existentially, just, just fundamentally, why do people get married? Why did I get married? 
Uh, where did marriage come from in the first place? Why is marriage still a thing in our culture, our society? And so the sincere questions, why do people get married? Where did marriage come from? What's sad during this pandemic is there have been multiple articles, again, from all the major news outlets, that marriage has been under pressure, even attacked, and that filings for divorce uh, and, and just um, retainers at marriage law firms have just uh, increased, multiplied substantially to the point that it's reported on. And certainly this pandemic and lockdown being uh, in close quarters for prolonged periods of time, longer than uh, normal periods of time with people, it tests relationships, it tests marriage. And certainly as we observe our culture, let's just be honest, uh, marriage as an idea, as an institution, has certainly lost its, its authority, uh, has been under attack where open relationships are norm in our culture. The whole notion of one man, one woman uh, committed to one another for life uh, is that, that that fabric gets attacked by adultery facilitating web companies, um, the well-established move away from defining marriage as one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship. All these uh, just corruptions from the original definition of marriage are normal in our culture today. But marriage isn't the only topic, the only issue. If we uh, don't want to be ignorant of just whole other demographic of uh, humanity, there's also singleness. And as much as we idealize and fantasize and, and want fairy tales of marriage at times, there's also the reality of being single. Now today then, Jesus, he addresses both. And I love that Jesus, he's engaged by religious leaders of his time, and he chooses to engage their choice of discussion. I hope and pray that as we work through the passage today, that the overall prayer, and, and just now to begin to reveal my cards and what I believe Scripture is saying and what Jesus is teaching today, I hope that there be this kind of prayer that is stirred up in our hearts. Lord, let my singleness or marriage, whichever state you find yourself in, let my singleness or marriage increasingly mirror Christ's heart for his church. I hope that's what you find stirred in your thoughts, your affections, and desire to live that out through your will. Now, what we're going to see is that both, both, both singleness and marriage are beautiful gifts from God. And both are not easy. Both are not easy. But nevertheless, whether you find yourself single or married, that your state would increasingly mirror Christ's heart for his church. And so I want to generally ask today, what does Christ teach about singleness and marriage? And I hope to do my best to show you three things. First, that we're going to revisit God's vision for singleness and marriage. Second, I hope you'll accept with me humbly the brokenness of our sexuality, our singleness, and our marriages. And then finally, that we would receive Christ's redemption of these things. Now, let's think about revisiting God's vision for marriage uh, and singleness. Now, here we have a beautiful uh, just replica of a picture of Van Gogh's uh, Starry Night. Um, 
all analogies are, are they break down at some point, and, and so please don't read into the, there's no metaphorical meaning in me picking this, uh, this particular uh, uh, painting. I just uh, came upon it again this past week, and, and my only point in showing this is, as we see this beautiful vision, as we see this beautiful picture, uh, what is the best way to know the meaning of this beautiful vision and picture? It would be to be able to ask Van Gogh himself, what were you thinking? What did you see? You know, what was going on in your mind as you painted this picture? Now, similarly, I think Jesus, he wants to point us to God himself and to the scriptures to define and to uh, extract the meaning of marriage. The point of being drawn to beautiful vision and seeking meaning from its author, from its artist. Just on a quick side note, uh, we're not going to get into this today, but uh, God clearly says uh, in the Old Testament that he hates divorce. And so to use this analogy of, of a masterful painting, it would be like taking Van Gogh's painting in front of him and just ripping it apart in front of him. And, and, and in that sense, Van Gogh would hate that you are just destroying his work. And so when God says that he hates divorce, we want to appreciate what he meant marriage to be and singleness to be and to really care about his heart for his work. So let's pick up in the passage then. I'm going to first jump to verse 3. And we see here that the Pharisees came up to Jesus. Again, if you're not familiar with who the Pharisees are, they were uh, one of the major religious leaders and, and parties of the time. The two major ones were the Pharisees and the uh, Sadducees. And the Pharisees were masters of the Mosaic law. They were almost like lawyers um, who knew the law very well inside and out. And they came up to Jesus and they tested him. And even that word tested were to understand what Matthew wants to bring out is that it's, this is a toxic inspection waiting for, looking for a chance for Jesus to fail. And they're trying to trap Jesus. That's their M.O. throughout the Gospels. They're always looking to trap Jesus and to criminalize him, to be able to uh, indict him and, and arrest him for some reason. And so they bring up this very sensitive matter, and they ask, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, this was not asked out of a vacuum. They weren't just thinking, what's a random question that we can trap Jesus with? But this was very much debated even amongst themselves. And they were thinking of passages like uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 24, verses... Uh, Sorry, I have the uh, references uh, incorrect here. Uh, but Deuteronomy chapter 4 is correct, uh, but the verses don't match the reference below. But nevertheless, uh, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and it goes on to explain just the whole uh, merit, the, the warrant for divorce. Now, what was at debate, what was at issue was the meaning of found some indecency in her. And even amongst the Pharisees, there was debate. Basically, there are two schools of thought. Uh, and if you're a history buff and you like these kind of details, this will feed your fancy. 
the school of Shammai, they interpreted this indecency strictly as adultery. Adultery. Uh, the Hillel school of thought saw it more as a multitude of much less serious things. And so more and more, there were excesses in interpreting this passage. And so people would file divorce on just any trivial, whimsical, bad day. Just having a bad day and feeling the, the heat of emotion in that day. And, and just therefore, ah, I'm just going to get rid of you. And filing for divorce. And so the Pharisees, what they wanted to see of Jesus were, was he more of the school of Shammai, more a conservative sexual and marriage ethic? Or would Jesus show himself more as liberal in his sexual and marriage ethics? That's, what, that's where they were coming from. That was their angle. Now, straight off the bat here, if you think, you know, why does anyone consider divorce? It's because they have lost their love, their just pure, genuine love, both love in duty and desire. Love is both. It's both duty and desire. And if you're open to divorce, then you have lost both those things. You have lost the desire for uh, your beloved, and you have lost any sense of duty and commitment. And so here, as we see the, the Pharisees coming, their first problem here is they're like Eeyores. They're only focusing on the problems, and they've had lost any sense of love. They've only, they're focusing on just all the negatives and the downsides and not really looking for a solution. And certainly the Pharisees, we could describe them as people who lack love. They're like the Eeyores of that society. And so Jesus, instead of just being reeled in, they were trying to bait Jesus, and, and instead of biting on that, and now, now nitpickingly, negatively, uh, pessimistically, you know, defeatedly focusing on divorce, Jesus, as a masterful debater and dialoguer and conversationalist, he turns it to something more beautiful and grand, something visionary. And the way he addresses their question is to answer them, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read that he who created, who created them from the beginning, much like the grandness that you feel if you're a Star Wars fan or any epic movie and, and just that scrolling of, you know, long time ago in a galaxy far away, Jesus similarly takes us back to the grandness of God's creation and his story and his longing to give life to us as he meant it to be great, generous heart to give us fullness of life. And I want you to notice here that Jesus, he affirms the authority of the Old Testament scriptures. He affirms the authority that the scriptures are indeed God's word, and Jesus even himself as the Son of God and also as pure, uh, fully human, he gives himself fully to the authority of scripture. And so it's he says, have you not heard? And he points them back to Genesis, points them back to God, and points back to God as creator, that God has designed life a certain way, that he has programmed life, he blueprinted life with very exact and deliberate, specific fabric. And Jesus affirms that from the beginning, from the beginning, 
that God made them male and female. In today's cultural vernacular, yes, God created humanity binary, male and female. But what, what I want you to see here is that Really, I see a visionary heart of Jesus. Jesus saying, okay, I'm not going to just focus on what's wrong, but I want to be lifted up in life. I want to be pulled forward in life by a beautiful vision of what God meant to be. We must be drawn to the vision of God. Now, at this point, I want to make two other important comments. This is what distinguishes the Christ follower, the, the, the genuine disciple of Christ from the rest of the world. Like Christ, we are willing to give Scripture its place of authority. We are willing, by faith, to receive this bibliography of 66 books, this library that is called the Bible as God's authoritative, inspired word. When it comes down to it, if you distill the differences between a genuine Christ follower and those who not, even liberal Christians to those who would be uh, called orthodox or more conservative, it comes down to our belief in God's word, what we believe about God's word and the scriptures. And if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we would do well to follow in his footsteps, even as the son of God and the son of man, that he found his meaning for life, his morals, his values, his vision for life in the scriptures. Now, the second comment I would want to make, and I have gay friends. I have gay friends and lesbian friends. I do, and I love them. I love them. And so when I say this, please know that I say it from a place of having friends who love me and I love them. What I want to invite you to, if you are find yourself LGBTQ or, and whatever else, that you would consider the vision of God and by his grace, just be gently, step by step, pulled towards that vision. It's not about, and, and the way I approach my friends uh, of same-sex attraction and, and whatnot, it's not to just lay down heavy-handedly these black and white rules of God per se or, or, or the black and white uh, difficult passage of scripture but first to show them and try to paint as best as possible the vision of what God intended life to be. And all of us are far from that. Even as a heterosexual male, my sexuality is broken and I have much grace required to just wash over me in terms of my uh, pursuit of sexual holiness. And what, but what I hope will bring us together is this common pursuit of God's vision and by God's grace to see that step-by-step step worked out in our lives, even as we stumble and fall toward that vision. Well, moving on, Jesus continues then, and he wants us to, and this is where singleness first comes out in today's passage, I believe. And so Jesus gives the pre-step to marriage, which is singleness, and so we read, and Jesus said, therefore, a man shall leave, right? That word leave, let's pay attention to that. His father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife. And, and in between the lines there, also a woman leaves. Now, what do they leave? Not only their family, but implicitly there is their singleness. 
And so before marriage is singleness. A man shall leave. The man and woman were single prior to marriage. Now, what's good news is, and we don't have time to get into all the passages about this, but if you'll just trust me as a summary, the New Testament gives us a very, very positive view of singleness. Jesus himself was single, and yet he was the most fully human person who ever walked the face of planet Earth. Moreover, Paul the Apostle agrees uh, with Jesus' example and speaks very positively about singleness in his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians in the first chapter. And even as we think of Adam and Eve's example from creation, Adam was single first. And what God ordered into Adam's life was first for Adam to know his maker and to have a perfect, intimate relationship with his master's maker. And then, next, God provided Adam his mission. And then, to round it off, to make it whole and complete, he provided Adam his mate. And certainly, um, the same, that principle applies to man and woman alike uh, for all those after Adam and Eve. Maker, mission, and then mate. Adam had a perfect life in his singleness. And yet God, not that it was imperfect, but God even brought to even greater beauty and perfection by providing Adam and Eve each other as mates to live out their mission in service of their maker. And so to my single friends here and listening and watching, you have a full life in Christ. There's nothing less human about you. You can experience all the fullness of your humanity and your identity in Christ. I love what Sam Albury a respected single Christian thinker. Uh, He says in his book, Seven Myths About Singleness, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, and what he's referring to is uh, Paul unpacking that marriage, the purpose of it is God's gift to us as a metaphor, as husband to wife, that is a shadow of Christ and the church. And so marriage itself in its best uh, form and, and living out in the best way is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus' love for his church. And so marriage shows us the shape of the gospel. Singleness, it beautifully and profoundly shows us its sufficiency, meaning that you are complete in Christ alone, period. You don't need marriage to be complete. And singleness is a wonderful way to demonstrate that God's grace is sufficient for us. Now, our human nature is to always look over the fence and to see and to believe that the grass is greener on the other side. That's our human nature. And and what we love to do in our brokenness, our, our silly pettiness and insecurity and brokenness, we like to compare our lows to other people's highs. And even from pride and out of arrogance at times, we like to compare our highs to other people's lows. But the reality is, and Paul brings this out in his uh, admonition to married and, and single folk, that both are hard. Marriage is hard. 
Marriage has its joys and hardships, and singleness has its joys and hardships. And what Sam Albury says uh, wisely in, in this book is that really, when you become married, you're just exchanging the joys and hardships of singleness for the joys and hardships of marriage. And so not one is necessarily on higher footing than the other. Certainly, singles have their real legitimate struggles of loneliness, of fornication, of uh, lust. And, and as a single follower of Christ, it is hard. But guess what? A lot of those struggles in singleness don't necessarily disappear when you're married. They just show up in different forms. So to look back to Jesus' vision of marriage, singleness, I'd like to say, is like kindling. Yes, you desire to be set aflame. When we think of Adam in his singleness, he, all the kindling was there for, for Adam to pursue a God-given mission and to live that with uh, satisfaction. There was a, a time to discover more of himself and who he is, how God has created him. And so as a single, you desire vocationally, socially, experientially, sexually, existentially to, to just actualize and, and discover who God has created you to be. And what distinguishes a Christ-following single is his or her desire to dedicate that season of singleness to Christ for the purpose of maturing them for that mission. And if one day it's to pursue that mission with a mate, then certainly you have all the more to give to that mate in service of that mate as well as you've grown more into your wholeness and fullness in Christ. Now some singles certainly are uniquely gifted to remain single for greater kingdom effectiveness. But the point is, let's embrace this vision of singleness that Christ, I believe, is alluding to. Now, another vision of marriage and really the nature of marriage as God intended, we see as Jesus affirms, he's basically just repeating what is written in Genesis. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So here is the nature of marriage. God meant it to be permanent. Why? Because God gave marriage as a gift to help us understand what God wants with us. See, marriage is the analogy. The human experience of marriage is meant to be the analogy, the metaphor of the greater reality, which is God's longing to be with his people. And that's why Paul explains in his letter to Ephesians that marriage is really there profoundly to reflect Christ and the church. But notice our part here. Let not man separate. And so this is speaking to our responsibility in the marriage. So I like to say, just playing on the whole, singleness is like kindling, then marriage is like a fire. You have to keep fueling and fanning the flames. It won't stay alit on its own. 
Let man not separate, meaning, to put it in the positive, let man, let husband and wife continue to pour into one another, to invest into their relationship. What is natural is unchecked and unbalanced sarcasm, egocentric arguing, unwillingness toward intentional listening. What is unnatural is to avoid the I'm sorry's and I forgive you's. What's natural is boredom from taking one another for granted and therefore starting to look outside the marriage for fulfillment. But what is divine is intentional encouragement, celebration, proactive scheduling of date nights, intentional pursuit of friendship and history. But all this to say, remember God's creation vision. This is Jesus' way of answering this topic of marriage and divorce. He points to the vision, the beautiful vision that we're meant to be pulled up toward for singleness and marriage. Now, as we continue then, I believe what Jesus does next is he wants us to accept the reality of the brokenness of our marriages and our singleness. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus, with precision and efficiency, he gets right to the point, because of your hardness of heart. I've already touched on this. What's natural to us is the egocentric fighting, the, the uh, stubbornness to um, withhold the I'm sorry's and the I forgive you's, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because our hearts naturally are hard. If we accept that there's something going on in this life, which the Bible calls uh, sin, this, this powerful dynamic of sin at work, which entered when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and, and we inherit this, our hearts are hard. Now, what Jesus is pointing at here and what he's going to get to is that divorce really, and what Moses was trying to uh, provide, what God inspired Moses to provide as wisdom and a guideline for our society, is that divorce should be seen as a desperate last resort. And that every effort must be made to save marriage. What Moses allowed for divorce here, uh, if you know, we read about this uh, I won't quote up the exact passage here, but he basically says, okay, if you get divorced, then, uh, and if there's any indecency that the husband finds, then he can write a certificate of divorce. And if uh, the wife goes and, uh, the woman goes and remarries, uh, but then that marriage doesn't work out as well, and she divorces again, the law that Moses uh, penned, and which is really God's law, says that that woman can't remarry. Now, the way to understand that is first, Moses' law here was beautifully to protect women, to prevent, and as Jesus gives his final definitive interpretation of Moses' law, Jesus says clearly what Moses meant is really, you want to know the real meaning of indecent? It's adultery. The only reason for divorce, according to Jesus in today's passage, is adultery. And here, Jesus is trying to protect women. He's preventing 
a man from just whimsically, temperamentally, because he's having a bad day and, and having, you know, just going on a temper tantrum emotionally and emotionally immature, and he wants to just neglect the permanency of the nature of the marriage covenant. Jesus is affirming that Moses was protecting that kind of situation. But he's also protecting marriage, and Jesus is affirming as much because as Perhaps it was the woman who really instigated and initiated the divorce. And then she goes off and remarries. And then she realizes, oh, I don't like this marriage as well. And so Moses here, and Jesus affirming, is protecting marriage itself. Protecting the second marriage that you can't just quit on the second marriage and go back to the first just because you feel like it now. Bottom line, the point being, ideally, marriage was for life. So let me ask a a spiritual mirror question for us to look in the mirror. For those married, what is your focus in your marriage right now? Is it about what marriage, your marriage, can be? Are you being pulled upward by God's vision for marriage? and to reflect Christ in the church, and therefore to long for, to be desperate for God's grace to flood your relationship and to flood each of you individually and to overflow onto one another? Or are you focused on what your marriage isn't? Is your marriage full of complaining and just nitpicking and bringing up records of wrong? and rehashing the same argument and making each other feel as small and criticized as possible. And so the disciples, this is falling on their ears very heavily. And Jesus is connecting with them uh, down to earth because, and we see it in their response, the disciples said to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, It's better not to marry. The light bulb goes off for them. Oh my goodness, I I, I can't just treat my marriage whimsically and, and just check out when I feel like it. Jesus, you are raising the standard of marriage so high. And so the disciples in their way are admitting their own brokenness, their own inability to live out the vision of marriage that God has called them to. So what does Christ teach about singleness and marriage? First, accept our broke, or second, accept our broken reality of singleness and marriage. So what's the solution then? Now Jesus, he pointed to the problem. It's the hardness of our heart. And so the solution is somehow for our hearts to become soft. And Jesus, he goes on in verse 11, but he said to them, not everyone can receive This saying, meaning that it's better not to marry. Jesus is affirming that. You're right. You hit the nail on the head. The the highest understanding in life is actually to be single with a specific purpose. Jesus is saying that. Now, obviously, it's not meant to just be some unrealistic. Marriage is a good thing in God's eyes, and it serves a purpose, and it can be done right and well. But Jesus is saying on the highest level, the most uh, glorious way to live your life on this earth 
is as a single with a specific dedicated purpose. And so remember, we're, we're, we're asking the question, then how do we, if, if marriage is this hard and it's better to stay single, how do we do this? And so Jesus ends with this teaching, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And he goes on to explain about eunuchs. And, and here, eunuch, now Jesus, you have to understand, we can, uh, I can prove this to you and, and make my argument for it uh, offline. But Jesus, he certainly in his teaching, he always glides very uh, stealthily, very seamlessly between being very concrete and literal but then even as he's being concrete and literal, then he has deeper meanings below what he's saying. And, and here is one such case. On the one hand, Jesus is referring to a literal eunuch, a male who's had his male organ uh, cut off. But here I believe he perhaps is speaking to someone emotionally who might be feeling like a eunuch emotionally because we know even in the language where the English translation has just chosen the specific word eunuch, this word could also just simply mean single. For there are singles who have been so from birth. There are singles who have been made uh, single by men, and there are singles. Now, where the word single, that meaning really comes out is in this last phrase, this last description. There are singles who have made themselves single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do I know this? Just to prove it quickly. In Deuteronomy 23.1, says again, adult language here, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Now I believe that Jesus ultimately here is referring to himself when he says there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. He is the ultimate single who dedicated his life in pursuit of his bride, the church. But we know that Jesus, he is the one first who is cast off, but then he is the one who is most um, beautifully and importantly brought into the deepest place of the assembly of the Lord. And so Deuteronomy 23.1 cannot refer to Jesus. Jesus was not a literal eunuch and having a male organ cut off, but he was eunuch as the single. And emotionally, as someone who is searching for their deepest identity, their deepest person, as a single person, what is the meaning of my life? And what he found was that it was to obey the Father and to take our place on the cross for you and me. It's really interesting and all the more powerful that this teaching, it comes on the tales of, A, Jesus teaching about forgiveness. Because certainly all our relationships as singles and in marriages, and especially marriages that struggle, it's because forgiveness is lacking. In healthy conflict resolution, Jesus just taught these things. And now notice, going back to verse 1, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea. See, Jesus would be leaving Galilee, the northern part of Israel, for the last time. And he was on a one-way, no-return trip to Jerusalem, and even more specifically, to Golgotha, to the cross. 
And you can only imagine Jesus just in his psyche, his emotions, his entire being, thinking of his love, his single-hearted pursuit of his bride, even as he is a single, and that he will live this out concretely through his death, his cross. And so the last thing that I see that Jesus wants us to learn about singleness and marriage, that we need to receive the way we're going to live out a God-honoring singleness and marriage is to receive Christ's redemption. This is going to become the fuel and power so that we never even have to address the issue of divorce. Divorce happens for lack of love, but if we are just swimming in the love of Christ for us and then seeking, wrestling, fighting to extend that to one another, divorce will never become a question. So Christ provides all that we need and more to humbly admit our faults and forgive each other's faults. And so I hope that you'll find it in your heart to pray with me. Lord, let my singleness or marriage increasingly mirror Christ's heart for his church.